I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to, if you've got that black Bible or your own copy, to Genesis 50. Genesis 50, we're going to look at verses 15 through 21. you got a smart device, just type that in, Genesis 15, uh, 50, 15 through 21, and you can follow along there, or it's page 46 or something like that in that Black Pew Bible in front of you. We want you to have your copy of that. We're going to cover about 14 chapters in the last end of, of Genesis in about five minutes in just a second, but I want to ask you this question as we begin, because it's the question that Joseph is dealing with in this section. What would your life be like, or what would your outlook on life be like if you really believed that God was with you in every situation? That's Joseph's story. What would your outlook on life be like if you really believed that God was with you in every situation, dealing with your your sin and, and your temptations and your fears and your problems and your victories and your defeats and your gains and your losses, every situation in life. See, most people don't reject the faith that we have. Don't, most people don't reject Christianity based upon intellectual reasons or theological reasons. Most of the time, they reject Christianity based on personal reasons. God, if you're God, How could you let this happen to me? That's Joseph's story. And maybe something you've dealt with in your life at some point, in some way. How could you let this happen to me? Remember, as we walk through this whole story of reality this year, as we go through Genesis all the way through Revelation, we're trying to put this all together. We're finishing up the first book. It's eight, eight uh, lessons or sermons into this series, and we're just finishing the very first book. We've got a lot to cover in this month, but this is the foundation. This is the be- beginning. This is the important part. And the Joseph story is found in chapters 37 through 50. You're, you need to look that up and read through that because it's a powerful story. Our ladies are studying that on Wednesday nights, and so they'd invite you to be a part of that at 630 in the Fellowship Hall. And we know as we look at this together today that there are all sorts of things that are happening in in Joseph's life that are pertinent, important to us and how we deal with the brokenness in our world. So as we consider these claims today, I just want you to consider what would it be like in my broken relationships, my work situation? What would it be like in all of the places I go and the people that I see, if I really lived like God was with me through all of this. I'm going to set all of what we're going to read in Genesis 50, verses 15 uh, through 21 up in just a, a few words, okay? So here they are. Will you follow these words for just a moment? I'm going to elaborate in just a minute, but I'm going to give you the words first. Pit. Potiphar's house, prison, Pharaoh, famine, family needs food, and ultimately, forgiveness. That's the story. You recall the Joseph story, don't you? 
You know, we've heard it since we were little kids. We called it the coat of many colors when I was growing up because that's what the King James Version called it. But the, the, the wording there is really a robe of many colors. And we know he got it because Joseph was the, the favorite son of his father, Jacob, even though he was his 11th son. And we looked at Jacob last week. He was the favorite because he was the oldest of his favorite wife, Rachel. And that caused all sorts of trouble in Jacob's family and Joseph's life because he was the favored son. So here's a good lesson, men, young men, as you seek a wife, never have a favorite wife. You hear that? I don't have a favorite. I just got one, baby, you know. And so when we look at this story, we know that Joseph brings some of the trouble on himself. He is a, a little tattletale. He, he tells his uh, brothers that he's going to be the, the king, and they're all going to bow down to him as subjects of, as he experiences that dream. By the way, that dream comes true. We know the rest of the story. And, and he's uh, going and, and checking on his brothers all the time. And, and so they, they don't like him, and they plot to kill him, and they throw him in that pit. Remember, there's not water in that pit. They throw him in that pit, seeking a way, and then they sit down and have lunch. <laughs> and they start talking about it. Well, he is our brother. What, what gain is it if we, if we kill him? Let's, let's sell him. And so by come the Midianites, the Ishmaelites, and, and they decide in their moment of compassion that they're going to sell their brother into slavery instead of kill him. And they do that. Can you imagine? He's 17 years old. Now, sometimes we miss this. 17. In a pit. He doesn't know what he's going to experience sold into slavery. There's got to be all sorts of fear and turmoil and terror, really, in his life. And by come these these guys that don't even speak the same language. And his brothers sell him, sell him for 20 pieces of silver, and then they take him to Potiphar's house. So they take him, actually, to Egypt, and Potiphar probably buys him on the slave auction block. You know, can't you, can't you see it? It says that Joseph was, was handsome in form and appearance. He had a great body and a beautiful face, just like his mother Rachel. And so Potiphar checks him out and purchases him, and you would think that things would get better. And they do for a while. Because in chapter 39 of Genesis, you look back for just a moment, four times it says that God is with Jacob. Look at these. Verse 2, it says that God saw Jacob in that place. The Lord was with Joseph. I said Jacob, but I meant Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. I mean, I'm preaching on Joseph, am I not? And... And so he succeeded in everything he did. God just brings Joseph to the top every time. Verse 3 says it again, that Potiphar took notice of him and realized that the Lord was with Joseph. Potiphar's not the only one that took notice of him. Remember, Potiphar's wife, that cougar, looking for a young slave boy. And, and as we... We get the story. She is commanding him to lie with her. 
And Joseph will have nothing to do with that because he does not want to betray his master Potiphar who has been so good to him and allowed him to take care of all of his, his estate. And he doesn't want to sin against God. Now you think about this for just a moment. God has done nothing for Joseph lately. In, in the story. He's been in the pit. He's sold into slavery. The Lord is with him. I wonder if Joseph doesn't say, think to himself, Lord, I wish you'd go be with someone else. Maybe my brothers could use a good dose of you for a while. If this is what you're like, if this is what life with you is like, Lord, then I don't want to have anything to do with that because Potiphar's wife accuses him of some kind of uh, rape or something, and he's thrown unjustly into the prison. And he makes friends with the warden while he's in the prison. Now, that you know things are not going well if you make friends with the warden. Nobody wants to have a warden as a friend because, you know, you're in prison if you're friends with the warden. He, he rises to the top because verse 21 says again, the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. See, all of what he's going through, all of what he's dealing with, all of the junk, Joseph is living as though God is with him. Would that reframe your life and all of what you face? If you live that way, many of you have. You've been forced to live that way because of your loss of job or, or loved ones or, or health or you've had diagnoses or, or any number of things that have gone wrong. And even this week, I heard a, a man who lost his job say, you know, God's got a plan. And I was thinking, man, that guy's got faith. I wish the preacher had that much faith. You think God knows what he's doing. God is with us in the midst of all of that, and he's with Joseph in that prison. In fact, he's with him so much that he allows him to uh, interpret some dreams. Remember? Remember the butler or the cupbearer of Pharaoh and the, and the baker? They end up in prison. They had a bad day with the Pharaoh, and they're in, the, in prison with him, and they have these troubling dreams. And Joseph interprets those dreams, and Joseph says, Hey, when you get restored, the cupbearer, not the baker. The baker didn't turn out so good for the baker. If you read that, make sure your children read that with you because it's kind of gruesome there. All these birds come and eat his flesh. He, both of them get lifted up, one back to his position, and the other one, his head gets lifted up off of his body. And I don't know why there's so many details about that baker's deal, but birds come and eat his body. It's in there. It's really in there. So if you dare, read that for yourself. But Joseph is asking the cupbearer who gets restored to remember him, but the cupbearer forgets because I think one of the reasons the cupbearer doesn't want to remind Pharaoh for the, the, the reason he threw him in prison in the first place. But whatever the reason, he forgets him until Pharaoh has a troubling dream, remember? And the troubling dream is this. There's these seven fat cat, fat cows and seven skinny cows. 
and the skinny cows come out of the Nile River and eat the fat cows. And Joseph interprets that dream. Same, the ears of corn, same kind of thing. It means the same thing. And the dream is there's going to be seven great years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And you better store up during those seven years of plenty to prepare for those seven years of famine. And Joseph tells the Pharaoh this dream. And then he not only does that, but he gives him advice about how he needs to deal with all of that. And Pharaoh is so impressed that he makes Joseph the second most powerful man in the world, his prime minister at that moment. Now, all his life, from the time he was 17 and thrown in that pit, to the time he was at Potiphar's house, to the time he was in the prison. All of that was preparation. All of that was training. Joseph didn't know that. But looking back, he sees it. For the point that God has him at now. is a man of power. What would it be like for you if those folks who hurt you ultimately come to need you. That's the story of Joseph and his brothers. Because you remember, as he interprets that dream, the famine comes, and his family is back in the promised land of Canaan, and the famine reaches out so much that there's no grain, and Joseph has planned so well and been such a great administrator that they have to come to Egypt to buy grain. It's a humorous kind of story. Their father, Jacob, said, why are you standing around looking at each other? We're starving here. We're starving to death. Go buy some grain. And so they do that. And as they do that, they are confronted with the prime minister of Egypt. And they don't know why this prime minister of Egypt has taken such a notice in them. But Joseph knows them. They just don't know him. You know why they don't recognize him? Anybody? Because he walked like an Egyptian. <laughs> <laughs> I was just seeing if you were still there. Huh? <laughs> uh, he revealed himself in, in uh, Genesis 45, 3, and, and he says, I am Joseph. And they wet us their pants. <laughs> it does not say that in the text. Their bowels release it, I think. is No, it doesn't say that either. In the text. But they are terrified. You know why? And I know why. Because they know what they did to their little brother, don't they? They know how evil they had been to their little brother. But you know, their little brother, who was this tattletale and this dreamer, he's grown up. And all of what he's gone through has matured him. And so instead of paying them back, he pours out God's grace. Instead of taking revenge and retaliating, he's part of the plan of redemption. And it's bigger than he knows. 
Because part of the preservation of his family is the preservation of the seed of the Messiah. And not only does he save them in that day, but it leads all the way through the line, L-I-N-E of Judah, all the way to the lion, L-I-O-N of Judah. And we know the rest of the story that Jesus comes through this family. And this family is preserved. Out of hardship because Joseph is faithful and lives like God was with him. The world was changed. Now, can God change the world through you? Can God bring reconciliation to the world through you if you and I live in every situation like God is with us. Oh, let's look in, in a little closer at this story, and we're going to focus on verses 19 through 21 of Genesis chapter 50. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? We're going to start all the way back to verse 14, Genesis 50, 14. After burying Jacob, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong we did to him, they said. So they sent this message to Joseph. Before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive our sin. When Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I'll continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Oh, Father, teach us. Lord, teach us how to be a part of your reconciliation, Father, for our families and for our community and for our world. Lord, show us how we can take evil intentions like Joseph did and see your hand at work and be a part of what you're doing and, and bring good, be a part of the good that you do out of it. Oh, Lord. Forgive us when we think that silence is your absence or when we don't see your hand or misjudge your hand. That we uh, forget how you're working for our good and your glory. Lord, show us how to apply this passage so that our lives will be different and we can be 
instruments in your almighty hand. Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Hope you'll grab that uh, bulletin on the back of that. There's a simple outline as we look at turning evil intentions into reconciliation. And we look at these uh, three main verses in in verse 19, 20, and 21 of chapter 50. And so the first thing we see going on here, um, not on your outline, is simply this. The brothers don't take full responsibility for all the evil that they've done to Joseph. And sometimes when we uh, need to extend forgiveness, sometimes people will ask for that, and sometimes people will humbly come to us. But most of the time, they don't. Most of the time, we have to forgive in spite of them and their attitude and even their actions and their lack of humility. And so that's what's going on here. You know why I think, it, as we look at this passage, that they don't take full responsibility? Because they say, uh, through another one's voice, Jacob, their father's voice. Basically, they say, Dad said, when he's gone, be nice to us. They never really say, you know, Joseph, we're sorry for the way we've treated you. We know now that we shouldn't have done what we did then, but we were young and, and we were, uh, they don't do any of that. They don't make excuses. They don't take re- full responsibility. None of, of that. But in spite of that, or despite the fact that they don't take responsibility, Joseph still demonstrates God's grace and forgiveness to them. And the way he does that is, is we're going to see, we can follow that example as well, first thing he does is he avoids playing God. He says, am I God or am I in the, the place of God? Most of our troubles come about in life in this whole issue is that we, we try to play God ourselves. We try to do things that are not ours to do. It's, when we look at this story, it's, it's not Joseph who is saving his brothers, but it's God working through Joseph. He's not playing that role of of God. And we will never experience the good results that God wants to bring out of the bad situations in our lives until we remove ourselves from the place of God, from the seat of God, and recognize God is with us in the midst of all of that. And we refuse to take advantage of the way He blesses us even in the midst of all of that for our own selfish advantage. You see, Joseph had every right to take revenge. He, he could have looked back at the events of his life and thought, you know, I didn't want to spend any of that time in that pit. I didn't want to be sold into slavery. I, didn't want, they, I ended up in prison because they sold me into slavery. I was un, unjustly. He doesn't do all of that. That's not why he's weeping. He is weeping as his brother's come to him after they say, hey, be kind to us and forgive us. He's weeping because the reconciliation process and their trust of him and what growth has been brought about is not fully complete. And so he tells them, I'm not God. I can't play the role of God. I can't take the chair of God. And sometimes for us, Whether we realize it or not, we occupy that chair. And we play judge. We're not worthy. 
Listen to me for just a moment of ways we do that and see if any of these sound familiar at all. First of all, sometimes we take the chair of God or play the role of God by being our own moral authority. We set ourselves up as the the knowers of what's right and wrong, good and evil. And, And that's the first sin, is it not? That's what Adam and Eve are doing when, when Eve takes of that fruit in the tree. She takes of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the, the evil one has tempted her. You'll be, you'll be like God. You'll be the one who sets the standard. We do this when we say, I don't care what God says. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to do things my way. Ever done that? Ever known clearly what the Bible says, and yet you did it your way? Mark Twain used to say, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand that really bother me. You know what he's saying. It's what we've said from time to time. I don't like that rule. I don't like that command. I don't think that's pertinent to me. I think that might be outdated. God didn't know my situation. Oh, but he does. And so we've got to always go back to the Scripture and say the moral authority is not you and not me, not the preacher, not even the church as a whole. It's God and God's Word, what God says. Otherwise, we play that role. Here's another one. Do you ever... Let other people look to you to meet their deepest needs. For instance, teachers, coaches, sometimes students come to you and think you're so great. Sometimes they come to the people from time to time and say, oh, man, you're the best pastor I've ever had. You believe that, don't you? You believe people say that to me. They have said that to me, and I always try to say, you know, I'm not. You don't really know me that well if you're saying that because I'm, I'm a sinner saved by grace just, just like you are. And we let them look to us or spouses or parents. You let your children or your spouse look to you to meet their deepest needs. This is what's going on in, uh, a little bit earlier when, when Rachel comes to Jacob and wants him to do something about her barrenness in Genesis 32. He says, am I God? Can I do anything about your barrenness? This is what's happening uh, with Naaman the Syrian in 2 Kings 5, 7, when Naaman, who has leprosy, wants to be healed by the king of Israel, King Joram, when he says, am I God? I can't meet those needs. This is what... Peter and John are doing in the book of Acts, in Acts 3 and 4, after they heal the lame man, and the, the people want to make them, them gods, and they say, no, no, we're just, we're just men. We're, we're just men. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved, and they point directly to Jesus, and that's what we've got to do. Otherwise, when we let people assume that we can meet their deepest needs, we're putting ourselves in the role or the place or the chair of God. Here's a third one. When you worry anybody, when you worry about everything, like you can really do something about the things you worry about. Any worriers are in here? Let, let's, let's re-examine that for just a moment. Anybody have a spouse who's a worrier in here? You, yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. 
Instead of praying about everything and not being anxious about anything, but praying about everything, as Philippians 4 says, 4, 6 tells us, we try to take it ourselves and do something about it ourselves. And we play the role of God. Now, here's what I, I want everybody in this place to do today. Just recognize and realize you can resign this day as the commander-in-chief of the universe. You don't have to be God. You can't be God. In fact, turn to your spouse, turn to your kids, and say, I'm not God. I'm not God. Do it. Go ahead and do it. I'm not God. I'm not God. And now say to them, you're not God either. <laughs> but you know what Joseph is talking about here? But here's the last way we do this. We play God when we hold a grudge. And somehow we think we have the knowledge and wisdom to see what's going on in somebody else's life who's hurt us. And we hold that. And we hold them in judgment. And we don't forgive. If we were really playing the role of God, we'd release that. But that's more godly than it's playing God. And that's what the Scripture calls us to, to be godly, giving generous and forgiving we're most like god in those things not to be god not to sit in judgment of other folks and hold grudges against them and bitterness and hatred toward them why do we forgive why would we even consider forgiving why would joseph forgive his brothers let's think about that for just a moment he knows he forgives them because god has been with him we have been forgiven. That's the number one reason we forgive. And, folks, we're going to need forgiveness in the future. We better be a forgiving people. But we also forgive because not forgiving builds a bitterness in our hearts that destroys us. It's like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. It's nuts. So who is it? Who is it this day? Because we've all got them, don't we? We may be personally connected to them, or they may be people we see in the media. But we've all got somebody that we need to release playing the role of God and forgive. The second thing I want you to see is if we're going to be used by God to bring reconciliation and, and allow the evil intentions of others to turn out for good, then, then we've got to recognize God at work. And Joseph does exactly that in verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me, or you intended it uh, for my harm. But God knew what he was doing. When you sold me into slavery, when you threw me in that pit, you intended evil. But God, aren't those great words? But God intended it for good. God knows what he's doing. He's working this plan. 
We don't always understand it. We don't always see it. Even in the moments, many, many times we don't. But we can trust Him. Romans 8.28 is one of my life's verses. And I know all things work together for, God, for good for those who love God. God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And there are lots of things that are not good. Divorce and disease and death. But God takes all that not good stuff and works it together. Not for everybody, but for those who love Him, who are part of His family and are called according to His purpose or on mission with Him. It doesn't work out. Everything in this life, you've known long enough, you've lived long enough to know everything doesn't work out for everybody all the time. No. But God's working even in the most difficult situations. See, I know this lady. Oh, this lady has had a huge impact on my life. This lady, she loved the Lord, and she went to Christian college to prepare as a teacher so she could be used by him, and then she took a role with what we call the, the North American Mission Board now, and we, it was the home mission board then, and, and went to Oregon and taught for a while, and then she comes back and, and meets a husband, and she knows this husband's headed toward the ministry. He's going to go to seminary, but her husband's um, mother gets cancer, and so they end up not going. And, and then, at 34 years old, her husband is killed. She's got four little kids, seven, five, Two and one. She's got to raise them on a teacher's salary. But all the while, she knows God's with her. He's not abandoned her. He's with her, and after she gets those kids raised, puts them all through college, her mother comes to her town, and she's the primary caregiver. She's got Alzheimer's. Those of you who dealt with that, you know that's the 36-hour day. She gets that done, and she gets Parkinson's. Diagnosed with Parkinson's in the last 10, 15 years. And through this COVID stuff, she's confined for a long period of time. You know, you have relatives like that to a 10-by-10-foot 10 10 room has hallucinations. It's kind of really going crazy but all the while i know she knows god's with her all the difference in the world you guys know if you know my story that's my mom and i was raised by a woman who knew all the while that all the junk in life could not stop the purposes of God. Because I'm here today telling you that story, making a point about how God is with us and all God is working a plan. <laughs> That's part of his plan. God's doing that. The last thing I want you to see what Jacob does in verse 21 is he's not better. He could have been, but he, he's better. He pours out God's grace on his brothers. Now their dad's gone. Now they think he's going to take retribution. Now he's really going to pay them back. 
And Joseph says, no, I'm going to take care of you and your kids. And he spoke kindly to them. Grace. You see, you might say, well, Jacob caused all of Joseph's problems, his daddy. And, and he didn't deserve being the favored son, which caused him all these troubles with his brother. He didn't deserve being blamed in Potiphar's house. He didn't deserve prison. But you know what else he didn't deserve? He didn't deserve, he didn't deserve the presence of God. And he didn't deserve to be prime minister. I mean, Pharaoh heard him for about 45 minutes and decided to make him prime minister. He didn't deserve any of that. God was working all that. And God was extending Joseph grace. And here's what I want you to know. God is extending that to you and to me. And he does it through someone who's greater than Joseph. Do you see that the Jesus story is just the Joseph story better? You remember how Jesus was betrayed by his brother, his supposed brother, Judas. And you recall how the pain and the suffering that he went through. Ultimately, those evil intentions on the cross, those religious leaders and those Romans led to the saving. Not of many lives, but of every life who would turn their Attention, affection, and receive his grace, his salvation. How do you do that? Easy as ABC. Admit you need it. You've blown it on your own. You've fallen short of the glory of God. You've sinned. And believe that there's a better Joseph. And his name is Jesus, and he took your place on the cross for your sin. And then you choose this day to follow him. Now, as I prayed earlier in the service, there's some young people in here. I, I want to ask, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? You don't understand everything. I don't understand everything. The smartest person in here, by the way, is not me, doesn't understand everything, but we understand enough to give ourselves to God, to surrender our lives to Him. And I want to invite you to do that. Right now, as the worship team comes up, I want, to, I want you just to bow your head, if you would. And I want every head bowed and every eye closed. We don't do this very often, but I want to do it today. I just want you to consider... Who is it, Christian, who is it that you need to forgive? Oh, you've been given God's grace. Who do you need to extend God's grace to? It's not because they deserve it. That's not what grace is. Grace is God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. Grace is God's free, unmerited, undeserved favor. We deserved hell. And God's given us an opportunity to have a relationship with Him in heaven eternally. Life now and forever. The Scripture says, if you acknowledge me, Jesus says, if you acknowledge me before men, 
He'll acknowledge us before the Father. So young person, fifth grader, whoever you are today, adult, man, woman, child, if you've never received God's amazing grace today, you can. Come claim it. And if you have, use it. Dispense it. Extend it. Oh, Jesus, we come to you thankful for your grace. Thankful that you saved us by your grace through faith. It's not anything we've done. It's what you've done for us. And Lord, I pray you would empower people, give people courage to respond to you right now. In your holy, precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. As we